You're listening to Interviews, the podcast that cracks the entrepreneurship code. I'm your host, Laurent Autain. I'm an entrepreneur, coach to entrepreneurs, and startup mentor with more than 20 years' experience running companies and advising entrepreneurs. Being an entrepreneur is the most difficult job there is. There are no practical guidelines. So join me every week and learn how you can better navigate your entrepreneurship journey and become an exceptional entrepreneur. Thank you for joining episode 119 with Ben Johnson, the CEO and founder of Particle 41, a development firm providing businesses with integral support on application development, data science, and DevOps projects. Finding the right talent to execute new projects can be a hassle. Ben and his team want to strengthen yours and he will tell us more about it. Also know that Ben is a serial entrepreneur with 30 million raised across his five startups and I'm talking 30 million US dollars. He also has 20 plus years of software development experience. He's passionate about application modernization and find it, finds it almost as fun as coach, coaching his two sons soccer teams. And also, it's his first podcast. So he's a bit nervous. Hi, Ben. Thank you very much for joining me today. Yeah, thank you for having me. So you're a soccer fan, are you? Uh, yeah, it is the best sport for kids growing up. We didn't really, we're in Texas, so we weren't crazy mm. enough to do the football thing here. Uh, American football is huge in, in our state. Yeah. So instead we did soccer and I, well, the kids were young enough not to know whether I was a good coach or not. And we did a lot, I did a lot of coaching for the kids when they were young. Um, once the team got bigger, the kids got older and they knew, they knew that I didn't know what I was doing. Then I, I, let it, <laughs> I left it to the professionals. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, and uh, man, that World Cup game that we were just delighted, uh, treated with the Argentina Brazil or uh, Argentina France game that was a treat. That was uh, that was by far one of the best games I've ever seen. Yes, yes. Well, I'm I'm, I'm French. <laughs> <laughs> well, sorry, I didn't mean to dig no, in. No, no, <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. I used to be I used to be like a like a real fan of 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 soccer or football. And you know, I used to watch all the games, but I don't know. I'm, I've, I've gone. It's, it, it has passed. <laughs> yeah, it's cool, I'm, sure. I'm into CrossFit now. <laughs> okay, good. So tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, your journey becoming an entrepreneur. Yeah. So out of college, uh, my first startup was really a, a, tra a tra online travel agency before Orbitz, Travelocity, Expedia were, were big um, before 9/11. And we built a, a, a wonderful $70 million travel business, but the trick was there's no, there's no AWS. There was no, uh, the barrier was, was high, right? Mm -hmm. So we had to build all, all of our own hardware. We had to rack and stack machines. We had to, um, you know, write uh, software frameworks weren't quite as uh, put together as they are today. Mm -hmm. And so it was a fantastic learning experience. Uh, I really, really enjoyed it. Um, and myself and people I still work with today, I met at that travel company, a, a company called One Travel. The brand's still around today, although I think it's you know changed hands a million times. Um, but from there, I, I also started a travel media company uh, with a good friend of mine, uh, Cree Lawson, 
and built a tech stack for what is a vertical ad network. He was one of the pioneers of vertical ad networks. And so we built a, a really cool uh, ad business where you, know, you have publishers on one side and um, uh, brands on the other, and you're doing the ad space to help them monetize their blog-based content. Mm -hmm. And I did the same thing in finance, with a company called Investing Channel. The really cool thing about these ad tech businesses is the the tech budget would be higher proportionate to total revenue. So while they'd be 20, 30 million in revenue, you get to spend quite a bit on uh, internet services. So uh, I was an AWS early adopter and really enjoyed uh, finding you know the fastest way to get a particular problem. And then um, I was traveling back and forth to New York a lot. My wife and I had our third kid. So uh, I, I, kind of took a break and started consulting. I did a, a couple of consulting arrangements. And then most recently I met a, a friend that was kind of starting a legal services company and had some interesting problems to solve. So I built a company called Legal Inc and we sold it to LegalZoom three years later. So it was a really rapid kind of acceleration of revenue, acceleration of tech, and then we're able to sell it. And then I, I stayed on with LegalZoom for four years and helped them innovate. Uh, and it was a great experience. And then most recently, I, I kind of uh, really come back to my consulting roots and started to focus on my consulting business, Particle 41. I'm also heavily, heavily involved in a startup, DocWorks, which is a SaaS company. And we're we're just getting started. We're, we're getting warmed up. Uh, we have some great users uh, that have early adopted, and we're excited to to make that kind of make that my next uh, next venture. So I love SaaS and I love just the entrepreneurial uh, thing that, you know, the market's super intense, but that just makes us all kind of adapt and, and maybe relearn some of those basics that are not necessarily learned when the market's uh, super fresh. Mm. Oh, well, we're going to talk about those, those basics uh, after. Um, the core of entrepreneurship is to build something I think you're kind of the very definition of that. <laughs> yeah, I, I really do like the technical co-founder role. Um, and, and that's really what we're doing in our consulting practice. Part of Cool 41, we have four CTOs that are on staff, mm. uh, as well as people who execute. But we have, you know, four uh, folks that have been in the industry for 20 plus years, myself and three others. And we really try to right size our strategy with the client and make sure that the engagement is stage appropriate. And being stage appropriate is one of the most important things that you need to factor into your decision making. Why do you like it so much, entrepreneurship? It's a true test of value, right? Uh, when you're in a corporate space, and and I, uh, don't get me wrong, I've I've had lots of corporate jobs. I, I enjoy. Uh, the scale because you get to work at fantastic scale. Entrepreneur is uh, entrepreneurship is generally a resource constrained uh, problem. You know you can't throw money at the problem. You need to be very smart and you need to find out like the right solve for your stage, which is uh, not usually an abundance of resources. Right in mm. a in an enterprise situation or you know corporate role there's a little more flexibility that you have, you know, you will get the question of, Hey, if we put more people on this or we spend a little more, can we accelerate faster? That's a wonderful question to be asked that most entrepreneurs don't get to ask themselves. Um, 
but I just really like that something from nothing. And then, uh, you know, getting that user feedback and being able to really tangibly build something through, uh, you know, from end to end. Uh, there's kind of a lot of discussion in the corporate space about product versus engineering and how those two things play with each other. And uh, I, I get to mine that gap uh, just within my own headspace and think, you know, what is the best for future opportunity? But also, what do I need right now to satisfy the user? You know, mm. the, the product mindset is really focused on the user and your ICP and a set of mental frameworks to help you guide, you know, what you should be focused on. And then engineering is really focused on, you know, building a really amazing system and uh, the, kind of the idea with an entrepreneurial venture is to not let those two conflict to, to find a way to, to resolve both sides of that and still meet the result within the time frame. You mentioned uh, earlier, uh, going back to the basics with your new venture. What are those basics you're talking about? So uh, right now, the market is not paying for the assumed future value. It's paying for value today. So we've seen mm. uh, VCs kind of pull back and say, look, I'm... I'm going to, uh, it's it's kind of like getting an equity loan on your house is really easy when your house is a, a, above your borrowed amount, right? You have equity. So then you can go get a second mortgage on that equity, or you can uh, refinance based on that equity. And it's really easy. You know, it's a straightforward process. And that is what how VCs are, I see them looking, even myself with my own uh, investment capability is I'm looking at okay, how can I accelerate something that's already successful? So in the past, just even six months ago, if I had a thousand users that I had on some kind of freemium model, that was okay. That mm. I could still raise capital on the idea that, okay, well, if I convert those thousand users to paying customers at some point. So there was some, um, some reward for uh, what we'd call like a committed ARR or a uh, and, and that's not the case now, and it may not be a case for quite some time. So now you really have to show, Hey, I have users, they're paying for something. I'm going to add to the things that they pay for, and I'm going to increase the value I provide for them. And, you know, perhaps I will scale up the price or I'll have add-ons or I'll have some, something that I can do to show that my, my, my bottom line is successful. Mm. And so the, the, the back to basics is that you are only as good as your balance sheet right now. And there's not a lot of ways that you can like spice that up. So that puts us back into bootstrapping frameworks that I hadn't heard much about in the past two, three years. Um, but bootstrapping frameworks were the idea of, you know, decide your ICP, figure mm -hmm. out their minimum viable product that they need, execute on that well. Um, get them to pay, you know, something, maybe it's a $10 subscription instead of where you want to be is a hundred dollar subscription, but you haven't necessarily executed enough value to get there. Um, another thing we used to see in the bootstrapping space is maybe I put out a piece of content to validate my assumptions before I go spend uh, what, what looks like now would be your own money to invest into growing your entrepreneurial venture. And so I just think there's been this huge 
back to basics, make sure you have a connection with a, an ICP and that you're, you're building into what they need and you're doing it in a stage appropriate way. And uh, startups over the last two years were getting a lot of money really quickly and you know, throwing a bunch of stuff at the, at the user and, and then struggling to actually turn a profit. Right. And so what you're saying is that investors have realized that two years after? <laughs> I think they're forced to. I mean, when you raise it in, in America, we've, you know, we've raised this interest rate so many times now, yes. the, the capital is not cheap. And so we've gone from a, you know, a inexpensive capital market to now fairly expensive capital market. So you, you have to know what you're doing and, and investors want to see that you're actually, uh, you actually have a pathway to monetization. Uh, I, I think the value of an idea has significantly dropped, but the value of EBITDA, you know, of, of margin has increased. So uh, that's what's playing out is so you have to get back to basics and like, what do I actually need to run my business? Do I actually need to hire a salesperson or can I do the sales myself? Do I actually need, you know, somebody to do customer support or can I use a tool to, you know, deliver one of my new favorite tools is Loom, you know, doing mm. short form little videos to show the customer in video format. Hey, this is how you use this tool. This is the value I'm providing. Uh, and it's, it, you know, it's kind of changing the game in terms of how we communicate with our audience and our customer. And so that's what I mean by getting back to basics, like figuring out what I really need right now to move myself forward, uh, because I just, I can't throw money at the problem anymore in this market. Can you tell us a little bit about Particle 41 now? First, where does the name come from? Sure. Yeah. Um, so I was actually reading a Daniel Suarez book where they had uh, the, the the beginning of the book. I don't remember what book it was. Um, Influx, I think. And a uh, really cool sci-fi book, very entertaining. Um, but at the beginning, uh, in the very first chapter, they're, they're inventing some kind of anti-gravity device and it's Lab 41. And, and so I, I like this idea um, I had been hunting around for a name and trying to find, um, you know, doing all the the GoDaddy searches to find a name that didn't conflict. But I started to look at the 41st element of the periodic table, which is, uh, I'm not pronouncing it right. It's uh, nimbium or nimbonium. I always kind of flub the pronunciation, but it's uh, in the 80s, there was this, this jewelry that had like an anodized metal look and it, it kind of came in a rainbow uh, color. And then I, I learned that that element is added into steel in the alloy process. So when steel is melted, it's added in there and it gives uh, the steel a little bit of flexibility, um, a lot of additional strength. And it also gives it like uh, perhaps a nice color, depending on how you cool it. It can be blue. It, can, it, it helps with the anodizing process. So I really gravitated towards this idea that we can partner with companies, make them stronger, look better, more flexible. And uh, I thought when applied to a, a tech agency like what we have, it made a lot of sense. So we we created Particle 41 and, uh, you know, I've enjoyed the brand and uh, also this idea of uh, lean manufacturing and the, the agile software development process 
and DevOps has been applied to like a lean manufacturing process. So I don't mind the crossover between like industrial engineering and, uh, and, and technology either. In the, uh, in the introduction of uh, that I made with you, I said you're focusing on, you know, uh, strengthening the right talent to execute new projects. Can you tell me more about it? What does, what does it really mean? Yeah, so we uh, we love to map to an initiative. So um, on one one side of the I don't know the the tech staffing spectrum, obviously you can go hire permanent employees, or you can just go uh, so you can go talk to a recruiter. You have this kind of staffing, and what what we really try to do, or what what our goal is, is to create world class teams mm. uh, that map to an initiative and work shoulder to shoulder with whatever existing staff that you have. And then we apply our four CTO advisory panel to those initiatives and make sure that all the execution is according to best practice. And the cool thing about working with a partner like us is we get to see what enterprises are doing kind of across continents. When you're working on a venture, you're kind of in your own headspace in your own world and you can use references to refer out but we actually get to see best practices across, you know, different coding languages or across different products and how they play out. And especially like the leadership frameworks of, of agile, or um, we get to see how those play out as well. So some of the small decisions that you make uh, like, you know, one of the Holy Wars is do you have your team estimate in points versus hours and we've seen those things play out over time. And so we can say, well, okay, here's the pros and cons of that. Like we've seen that movie before. We know how it ends. And uh, we can advise you on some of the smaller, seemingly smaller decisions that I think create a trajectory for a lot of impact. And um, we could see it across cloud architectures and all kinds of things. Like what are the trade-offs for that? And then, uh, you know, relay that back to your stage, the stage of life of company that you are uh, and put together a really team. I mean, we love to crush mountains of work. You know, my teams, when there's not a clear direction or a not, uh, a, you know, a big backlog of work, that's kind of when they struggle. But when there's a mountain of work, even when the expectation to get through that work is is borderline unrealistic, that's really where we shine when there's, uh, you know, a good amount of pressure and a good amount of direction. And uh, and we can just we can just crush it, right? And how do you find the best the best practice? Is that because I'm not a tech guy? Is that did you build an AI that can do that? Uh, no. So we uh, so best practices are well documented. We're in a right. in software development. We're in a what I would call a post framework world, okay. where frameworks exist. The the writers of those frameworks have said, hey, this is how we expect you to use them. And you have things like microservices and domain-driven design, and you know you can kind of refer to those. And, and that's really what we've been doing for the last 20 years is comparing those practices. And uh, we, we also see as the, the frameworks evolve, uh, we see them pulling from each other and, and learning. So the, the kind of the collective technology space, I mean, the barrier is really reducing. Uh, I was able to build that legal services startup in three years really by just using a collection of best practices and existing frameworks to uh, amass quite a bit of technical capability 
And that's really there and available for any entrepreneur, any business. You just need a, a partner like us to help navigate and accelerate through it. So you don't spend a lot of time learning what other people already know. So can you share some of the best practices? I mean, those, the common ones, those that you see over and over, those, those that you really have to hammer. <laughs> yeah. So um, I, I'll, I'll kind of scatter it about um, in, in our three practice areas. Uh, the In our software development practice, we really see, especially when you're working with a, a dev team that's remote and, and now post-COVID, like we're all kind of remote. Yeah. So having uh, work out in front of your team, so deciding your roadmap and, and knowing the next at least six weeks of work is essential to a remote team. When we're all working in the same office, we could kind of get away with some audibles, right? Uh, you know, just calling plays as we saw them and uh, being a little bit uh, quick to shift. Um, but now in a in a more remote work life, we really need a lot of work out in front. So I would say that is a, kind of a missed best practice in the agile software development or development space. And I would say getting two to three sprints out in front of your team is, is super critical. And that means that you have to think about, uh, you know, as a business owner, you need to be thinking about at least three months in front of your team so that you can have two to three sprints. Uh, that's usually about six mm -hmm. weeks worth of work out in front of them. So, so that's essential. Um, in, uh, you know, DevOps has just been a huge, um, you know, a huge help to a lot of enterprises, but the idea there, the best practice there is don't repeat yourself. If you're doing a, uh, we call it, we talk about the essence versus the efficiency. So a lot of times the essence of something is I need to log into a, a, a portal and I need to click a button. That could be the essence. But um, what if I could get rid of that button altogether? What if one behavior could drive another behavior and I didn't have to repeat myself? So you have to make some decisions as you mature of where am I repeating myself and how can I cut back on those steps? Um, and there's a really good body of work by Sidney Decker um, where we get like blameless postmortems. You know, he asks, uh, he asks a room full of people or a conference room full of people like, if somebody made the same mistake twice, would you fire them? And he gets up to like, well, what if they did it three times or four times? By the time he gets to about seven times, uh, everybody has their hand raised that, yeah, that person should be let go. And his his uh, thesis was, why, when you didn't build a system, wh why would you fire him when you built a system that allowed him to fail seven times? Yeah, so basically it's your fault. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And. Yeah. And, and it also, you know, we're humans participating in a system, you know, in a technology system, and most failures or outages are a collection of unfortunate events, right, that we need to learn from and grow from. So if we're just, you know, removing team members every time something bad happens, then really what we're doing is we're failing to learn mm. and we're failing to evolve. And so I think that's the kind of the nugget that we see from DevOps is that now we're putting minds uh you know platform engineering is a more popular term now but we're putting minds around the the system of delivering software it's um it's reliability and we're really investing in how to have humans and and tech working together in a human friendly way so rather than getting you know paged at three in the morning we have 
some procedures that kick off to self-heal machine uh, systems and really take better care of uh, not only the system, but the people who are helping evolve it. Mm. Um, and then in data science, uh, we really talk about the best practice of organizing, uh, you know, organizing the data in the way that it wants to be viewed. And there's a lot of really cool learning about what we see uh, you know, we just, we kind of see like when I need the information, the systems are going and looking in a bunch of different places. And what we've been finding is that if we organize it into, uh, you know, a lake or a data warehouse, and we really focus on the pipeline for bringing that, uh, that information into an organized place, uh, we can gain huge efficiencies and amazing insights. And we really reduce the complexity of trying to hobble numbers together on the fly uh, by by going through those exercises and, and doing that. Right. Aren't you afraid that too many systems will actually kill the systems? It's really, you know, in this the, the modern thought of uh, microservices, it's not about that. It's more about what is my ability to change the systems? How rapidly can I? So if you if you kind of go from the premise that change is the one constant, mm -hmm. evolution is required. If I'm not evolving as a business, then I will die, right? Yeah. yeah. So I want to create systems that, uh, that really embrace rapid change. And in order to do that, you have to have separation. Otherwise, I change this thing, it breaks this other thing. I change that thing, it breaks this other thing. So what we've seen is this best practice of microservices, uh, which are all looking at the changes that the other systems have made and, and asking the, so one system will say, oh, I see a change that this other system has made. What should I do about it? Should I ignore it or should I take some action of my own? So each of these services are acting independently uh, with awareness of each other, but not dependency on each other. And so more in that context is actually better because I can have more separation. So I can change subsystem B with no impact to subsystem, you know, A through Z. And um, I, I think that in a way is good. Not every business though is ready for, you know, a microservice architecture and the complexity mm. that that creates. Uh, so sometimes you just have to focus on, okay, I need an application that does X, Y, Z. And, and that is what my business needs. And as long as you can evolve that and rapidly change it, and you're, you're able to move forward at the pace of the market, then, you know, you're good. So, um, for the enterprise, though, the, the ability to rapidly change is, is really essential. But customers come first. For sure. For sure. Mm, because you were talking earlier on about the VCs being more careful in where they put the money. There's a lot of startups that don't have customers. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but so what I, what I want to clarify with you is that systems are good, but customers first, and then you build the systems once you have Correct. customers. Correct. Yeah, hundred percent. And that, yeah. that, that's really what I mean by that stage appropriate decision making. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Starting out with microservices and separating everything, not necessarily worth your thinking. Um, it's really what does the user want and how can I use, uh, uh, do the, do the right thing for the, the right need of the customer. Absolutely. 
Yeah. So going back to what you were saying earlier about bootstrapping your frameworks. Basics, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 mm-hmm. yeah. A personal question now. What have you learned about yourself since you became an entrepreneur? What have I learned about myself? I, I, I've learned that there's a certain amount of, um, there's this, a certain amount of work that I just, I love, or a certain amount of drive um, that I love, but uh, there's also a, t- a time and place for the people and the family and the value, you know, as mm-hmm. an entrepreneur, you, the, the celebration of the grind, I, I think is super fun uh, to, to some extent, uh, but also you need to invest in, in your learning so that you can work smart instead of hard. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, I, I have a special place in my heart for entrepreneurs that are uh, not quite like you need to pursue excellence in your work life, but you also need to have that balance. And I, so I think that right amount of balance and, uh, and drive, they just need to cohabitate. So, you know, one of the things that I did was uh, when I learned about OKRs, OKRs uh, for your listeners is a particular style of goal setting where you do an objective key result. As I, I was able to take that particular style of goal setting and then pass that on to my kids. And so every year, right around January, I send out a little Google form and I ask my kids, uh, <laughs> you know, my oldest is 20 now and my next youngest is 17. And I say, okay, what are your guys' goals? I even asked my wife the same, like, what are your objectives? And then how are you going to measure the success of those objectives as you progress? And to see the change in them, for mm-hmm. them to think of their life more like a year at a time has been really awesome. So I also like that there are frameworks, mental frameworks like OKRs that we learn in business that can be applied to personal life. And so not all my OKRs, my personal OKRs are all business driven. Some are actually personal. Some are about fitness. You mentioned your CrossFit, like we need to think of the whole pie chart of our life uh, with the same drive that we think about our, our business. And so I think if the 20 years has taught me anything, it's, it's to think about the whole pie, not just, you know, not just the the work. I, lo- I love it. I often compare, you know, being an entrepreneur to being a professional athlete. Professional athletes understand the, the connection between the body and the mind. And the perform and the performance. A lot of entrepreneurs don't <laughs> yet. <laughs> and it's very important to take time to take time to recover, taking care of yourself, because otherwise, how can you take care of other people? Right. Yeah. Put your oxygen mask on first before you. Uh, yeah. yeah. For sure. Yeah. For sure. And the also in software development specifically, like your reward for doing a really good sprint or cycle of development is you get another one right Mm -hmm. so um so tying yourself to that high level goal as a software engineer is really important like understanding how the business is going to measure success if you connect yourself with that then the sprint over sprint behavior kind of the wash rinse repeat of that particular role um it all becomes worth it because you can see, okay, I released this feature and it added subscribers or I, I uh, fixed um, it reduced cost or you're, you're connecting your behavior to the goal. And I, I think that's really helpful just mentally for, uh, for technologists. Is there anything you would have done differently? 
I can't really think of anything I would have done differently. Uh, I think I don't keep in touch with people really well. And so as I reminisce on some of the things in my career, uh, I think a 2023 goal is just to reconnect with some of those folks that really helped me uh, and, you know, just to kind of enjoy the people that you're interacting with a little bit more. And so, yeah, I'd like to keep better touch with the folks that I work shoulder to shoulder with and we accomplished some cool things. I don't remember where I uh, saw this or read read about it, but uh, someone, coach or so, someone like that, was uh, saying that, you know, gratitude is very important. And he was advising to write a thank you message once a week to someone that had some impact on your life. Could be like a very basic thank you to like a more more complex thank you. Uh, maybe this is what you should do. Okay. <laughs> um, two more questions for you. First, what is the one recommendation that you would give to other entrepreneurs or aspiring entrepreneurs? I, I and I, I hope it's not repetitive, but I would just say, uh, just perfection is the enemy of done, right? It's an old meme, or or it was an old saying before there were memes. Um, I think it's the art of good enough. So, um, I've seen it happen like, oh, I need to launch my product, but you know, my product messaging isn't very good or, uh, you know, just uh, allowing the kind of the excuses, uh, I don't want to go to the gym cause, or I don't want to go work out cause I, I don't have my workout routine ready or I don't have the right equipment or, mm. you know, we're just as human beings, we're really good at excuses <laughs> and, um, we're also super good at talking ourselves out of good ideas. And so I would just say, what is good enough? What is done? And that doesn't mean being sloppy. You know, it doesn't mean I'm going to, uh, as as my friends know, you know, I'm one of the worst spellers. I, I'm very, very thankful for like Grammarly or these kind of things. I, I don't mean be sloppy. I, I do mean take time to make it good. But just understand good enough, and and I think I've heard this from a lot of, a lot of other uh, thought leaders, um, because you got to get out there, right? You got you're going to have to to release your idea or to be successful, you're going to have to talk to hundreds, thousands, maybe you know tens of thousands of people to even get to that uh, that success point where your business is is moving along and you're breaking even and you're maybe paying yourself and everything's, you know, happening. And so you can't get hung up on something. And then I would just add that to just invest in your knowledge, you know, find mentors, find people to learn from, find partners that will help you, um, that, that truly add value and that will help you um, and um, surround yourself with smart people and, and just, you know, my car is a uh, university on wheels, right? An audiobook's mm. got to be going on. You know, consider instead of, uh, you know, listening to music at the gym, listen to an audiobook or some learning. You know, just you know, if you're if you're constantly learning, you you'll, I think you you'll add a lot of value to yourself. So, 
Yeah. Doesn't mean you cannot listen to music though. <laughs> Just no, no, relax. of course, of course. But <laughs> consider uh consider how much screen time yeah. that is entertainment versus how much screen time is learning. Very true. Well, thank you. Thank you for for saying that about the mentors. And also you mentioned perfection. Perfection is actually looking for perfection is actually one of the bottlenecks I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, last question, how can people contact you? So you can always contact me uh, at Ben at Particle 41. Uh, I'd love to hear from you. Um, you can also reach out to us through our website. And um, I'm on LinkedIn. And yeah, we, we have, uh, we're over 100 people. And we'd love to talk to you about your project or what you're trying to accomplish. And if we can help put a team together for you, great. If not, I would just love to hear from you and um, see if you, you know, see how we can help or how I can cross connect you with someone who can. Great. Well, thank you very much, Ben, for spending your first podcast with me. Yeah, thank you, Lauren. It's been a great experience. <laughs> and thank you for listening. If you like this show, leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or on your favorite podcast platform and help me inspire as many entrepreneurs and wannabe entrepreneurs as possible. I'll see you next time. Bye for now.